Welcome to the She's Up Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Coach Kimberly International, featuring conversations and actionable insights that equip women in STEM to lead in today's BUCA world. Welcome to the She's Up Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kimberly Jackson. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with culture change consultant, Erin Shrimpton. Erin is a chartered organizational psychologist and expert in workplace behavior change. She works as a LinkedIn learning instructor, coach, and consultant, helping people, teams, and leaders change workplace experience for the better. In addition, she is an experienced facilitator and keynote speaker. Erin collaborates with HR professionals, leaders, and their teams to help them build, curate, and even reinvent culture, always using approaches that are evidence-based and experience-led. Erin spent most of her professional life in London but now lives back in her hometown of Dublin with her husband and two small boys. For Erin's full bio, please check out our show notes. Erin, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Kimberly. Delightful to be here. So we're going to invite our listeners to take a seat and enjoy our virtual fireside chat as you share a little bit about your leadership journey, but really more your career evolution. Um, And you may even have some bonus tips out there for working moms. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's go ahead and, and, and well, actually, before we kick off your story, I want to let the audience know how we connected because I greatly respect you. So a little over a year ago, my husband and I were taking a road trip to Montana in the United States. And one of my goals was to go on to LinkedIn Learning and find a consultant who's a friend of mine and listen to her course. And as I was experiencing LinkedIn Learning, I got hooked on you (laughs) and took copacetic notes Um, And went through your content and I thought, a woman who really knows her stuff, she's being very transparent, very practical, and it was something I could use immediately. So for those out there listening, we will have links in our show notes so you can find Erin on LinkedIn Learning. But I did want to thank you again, because it's really what be able to kick off me connecting with you. So I really value the work that you do. Well, thank you. I mean, it's absolutely wonderful to hear that because I entered into the LinkedIn learning journey without knowing whether I'd be any good at it or, you know, if it would suit me. And in fact, I think what I've discovered is that I've sort of found my thing with this. And it's been a bit of a combination, actually, of the story um, and the journey that I'll talk a bit about today. So it's it's really nice to hear that feedback, um, because, as you know, going into anything new, it, it uh, I, I suppose I started the journey with LinkedIn Learning a couple of years ago now. And going into it, I just thought to myself, oh, I'm not sure that this is I'm going to be any good at this or if I'll be able to do it or 
as we often do, doubt ourselves before going into anything new. But it's a good lesson to remember that even though you your brain might start telling you, no, you can't do this. Actually, you know, wouldn't it have been lovely to play to play your kind words just there to my to my former self <laughs> to give me that boost? So. Um, so, yes, thank you. Which course did you watch? Do you remember? You were going through. Um, well, I watched a couple, but you were going through some different frameworks from an OD perspective. Um, yeah. which is stuff that I, I really enjoy. But the way that you broke things down, again, was if someone was brand new to OD or change management, mm-hmm. it would have been better than most of the lectures I had in school. And I went to Duke and Harvard. Mm-hmm. So that's really, it's really saying something. Yeah, it's my aim with it is, uh, I think that was probably the culture change one. So I, I developed mm-hmm. a course about culture change in teams and yes yes and the reason I I developed that course was because I've worked a lot in culture change over the years often with whole organizations but I've often found as a consultant or even working in-house with with organizations that culture change programs can be very stop start but when you go and speak to individual teams and pockets of people across an organization, they are often desperate for change to happen, whether it's because they need it to happen for themselves or for their team or for their customers, rather. Mm-hmm. And so I developed this course because I wanted to empower leaders across organizations to know that they can still change things for their people and for their customers. You know, you don't have to change the world of the whole organization and there's lots of things in the organization that you won't be able to change but once you kind of identify what those things are and identify you you know you're, you're not going to change the whole HR policy and practice and you're not going to change some of the leadership behaviors and you're not going to change um the way the organization is set up in terms of the the policy of the remote working and all of that stuff those things are going to come from somewhere in the head office or somewhere um central But if you think about your experience at work day to day, most of those experiences come from your own team and the people who you work with. And as soon as you start to realize, actually, there's loads of experiences that we can change within that. Mm -hmm. It's really empowering for both the leader and people on the team. So Mm -hmm. thank you for that feedback, because what I wanted to do is make it a really clear step by step guide for anybody who's leading a team that, you know, You don't have to, although it's science-based and evidence-based, but you don't have to have won a Nobel Prize to do this. You know, you don't have to have, you don't have to have a master's in organizational development or in psychology or anything to do these things. These are just very practical things that you can do with your team. Um, So, yeah, I'm glad that that course is helping people because um, it's a big passion of mine. And I like to be able to see people being, and especially, I guess, right now as well, um, there's a lot of pressure on people leading teams. That's what I'm finding in mm-hmm. with my coaching clients. There's a lot of pressure because as organizations are now so much more dispersed because we're working virtually, really people across organizations are looking to their team leader to make mm-hmm. this sort of feel stable and consistent and safe. And, and that's a lot of pressure for people who are especially younger leaders or new leaders who maybe don't have that experience, uh, but it's new for everyone. So yeah, any kind of help that I can provide for anybody in that position, I'm always, I'm always delighted to do it. Well, just 
quick follow-up. I've actually recommended your course specifically to go into companies overall. You know, a lot of companies will have a, their own learning management system and, mm. and stuff, but a lot of companies don't have quality content on their LMS, right? Mm. Where people are going to be, yeah, I can't wait to log in and look for a course. So I was also experimenting with LinkedIn Learning to for mid-sized companies or companies going through transformational change. What would be a great course that they would need to pay for, you know, invest in, but would really help them? So mm-hmm. for culture and anything to do with transformation, yours is my the top of my list. So hopefully that is helping you. (laughs) Yeah, well, thank you so much. And actually, the methodology that I use in that course can be scaled up to cover an entire organization or, you know, I kind of I focus particularly on the idea of changing within teams, but actually it can be scaled to any size of organization. So I do. (laughs) Well, we'll have to chat more offline about that. (laughs) (laughs) So. I know that we got to have a little bit of a conversation before we went on air, and I am just fascinated around how you went about shaping and forming your career. And I know there's a lot of lessons in there from mentorship to being a working mom and, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. So where would you like to start? I think the story starts actually back as a child and as a as a teenager. My parents ran a small business and still do today uh, in the area of flexible working. So providing so back then hardware and then software for flexible working. So I always had a real interest in what, you know, because that was back in the 80s. Flexible working was not something we talk about in the way we talk about it today. Yeah. So it was always sort of a kind of a bit of a revolutionary concept. And my dad would be interviewed on radio and about the ideas of back behind flexible working. And I always got this interest in what makes work good for people? What makes it great for people? What makes, you know, and having it really struck me, this idea of having flexibility in your work surely is a great thing for, for both people and for organizations. And um, I ha- always had an interest in human potential, human behavior. So I did my degree here in Dublin, in Trinity, in psychology, uh, but always kind of knew at the back of my mind I wanted to apply this in the workplace because the workplace is somewhere that you can capture <laughs> a lot of people. And, you know, most people of working age do work. So you have access to people in their in their working environment. And actually, you know, I, it was a gap as well because there's so people go and spend so much time at work. Now, nowadays, they maybe don't go anywhere, they, but they do still spend a lot of time at work. And they therefore must need support in that endeavor. Um, and, you know, for as long as I can remember, work has always been this thing that gets slightly vilified in that, you know, we all think oh, work equals burnout. Work is, you know, oh, it's Sunday night. I'm going to have, I don't know if you have the, exper- the expression, the fear, the fear on Sunday night because going into work the next day. And I always thought to myself, surely that has, doesn't have to be that way, <laughs> you know. But as a young, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed person, I didn't really understand as much, you know, about work as obviously I do now. 
So I went into the I went into psychology to first of all get that grounding first and foremost, and then moved to London to get. Um, I just decided I was just going to try and experience as much of work as I possibly could in that as much many different workplaces as I possibly could. I started my career at a quite a quintessential startup uh, back, you know, the early 2000s startup. Um, It's a smoothie company here. It's based in the UK that um, grew phenomenally during the time that I worked there and, and thereafter. And had a great experience there, kind of a formative experience of the type of uh, work and the type of culture that you can build when you really kind of put everything else aside and just focus on what you want to represent as your own brand and your culture. Um, And I decided I wanted to take that to other organizations. So that was when I did my master's in organizational psychology over in London. And... uh, it was interesting because as I was submitting my dissertation, um, I was also <laughs> watching the news with people exiting the Lehman Brothers building. Um, and it coincided exactly with the time of the, of the financial crash. And so I didn't I didn't graduate into a particularly welcoming environment as an organizational psychologist, even though ironically, actually what people in workplaces at that time needed the most was support from a psychologist, but there was no budget anywhere. So I decided, okay, well, what have I learned in this entrepreneurial startup? I've learned that, you know, you don't have to fit the mold. You don't have to do what's been done before you. You can find a new way. And I always had this vision of, you know, as I've described about the the type of work that I wanted to do in terms of making work better for people. And to, as I said earlier, sort of to access people through the workplace uh, to help them really realize their own potential. But I didn't see anybody, and I certainly didn't see any women at that time in roles that I was imagining, you know? So I never had this idea, I never had this sort of clear path to where I wanted to get to. So as I said, I just decided, well, I'm going to just try and do this myself. I'm going to make my own path. So I went out by myself and started um, just my own one man, one, one woman consultancy and um, worked across sector and industry. So I just went, found as many consulting gigs as I possibly could and contracts as I possibly could, working in all sorts of areas around culture, well-being at work, engagement at work. So I did projects across the civil service in the UK, police forces, tech companies, all sorts of different angles and all sorts of different cultures as well. So what I really wanted to do is having experienced a great culture in the smoothie company that I worked in, I also knew I needed to experience the not so good. We know from social learning theory, um, Bandura social learning theory, that we learn Obviously, by looking at really good role models, we learn very well, but we also learn from watching people not doing things very well. So I needed, I knew I needed to kind of see the whole picture. So what do, what, what is it like to experience a toxic culture? What is it like to experience not very good leadership and how does that play out and how can we rectify it? So um, although it took its toll on me, I'm glad to say that I have experienced all of those things. I've been right in the deep end of some pretty um, tough cultural environments and have helped people kind of people and their teams change, changing things for their people for the better. So 
I kind of fast forward, I guess, then to today. Um, so I, you know, and, and I through that time I did a number of different projects around um, as I said, culture change, engagement, well-being. But then I also started coaching one-on-one, coaching leaders one-on-one. And then I had the opportunity with LinkedIn learning. I had and then at some point in between all of this, I had I had two little little boys and decided to move back to Dublin where we have a, a network of family and friends. And uh, obviously that threw the cat amongst the pigeons <laughs> in terms of, you know, where I was going career wise, my own identity and the opportunity with LinkedIn learning came up and it actually came at the exact right time for me because I was really questioning all those things. I was thinking, how can I have this role as a mother, but also work full time in corporate life? It just didn't feel compatible to me. And um, especially the type of work that I do, as you'll well know, Kimberly, is it's it is emotionally draining in that, you know, it, you can't but get involved in, in uh, team dynamics and organizational dynamics without it coming home with you in some way, shape or form. So I, I really wanted to find something that I could do for especially for this time when my children were really young um, that, you know, where I wouldn't be constantly feeling like I'm pulled in both ways. So I'm really happy to say that those, you know, that I really enjoyed developing those courses for LinkedIn Learning. I was able to bring the sort of the culmination of everything that I've learned over the past 20 years into the courses that I've done so far. And alongside that, I'm still doing some consulting work and I'm doing coaching work and I'm doing webinars and I'm enjoying all of that. So, yeah, I don't know if I particularly have a conclusion. I'm not I'm certainly not done yet. (laughs) Turned 40 last year. so. I feel like I'm I'm only beginning really with my career and often it feels like that you know often I think gosh how is it that I'm still learning so much and that's that's um that's exactly I guess the way it should be and the way I want it to be for the rest of my career a lifelong learner yeah. <laughs> love it you see yourself as a woman in STEM so you can really identify with our audience as well And something I'm curious about, because women in STEM have such areas of expertise that as they evolve and want to advance, they can run up against some challenges because their expertise is so valued, they kind of stay in that production trap. So I love the part of your story where you worked across different industries and sectors and really got exposure to different things but yet you have a very specific defined set of expertise so do you have any comments around that it's a really interesting question and a a lens on my career that you really got me thinking about because I probably didn't call myself a psychologist I've only really started calling myself a psychologist in the last few years, because when I first of all left my degree in psychology, I I just decided I'm just going to go straight into corporate world, do what I, whatever I can do to, you know, whatever role that came my way that sounded interesting and that would enable me to understand the working world. I got a little bit more considered about it then after my master's, but even still, I didn't see roles out there that were overtly for psychologists in business. 
I didn't see people out there who were overtly calling themselves psychologists in business. That's not to say that they weren't there, but they might have been calling themselves something else and they might have been working in OD or they might have been working in HR. Now it's different. I think there are an awful lot more people overtly calling themselves organizational psychologists, whether they're being employed by organizations, I'm not sure as much, but certainly in consultancies. And so there was a part of me that felt uh, a little nervous or shy to call myself a psychologist because I wasn't sure, particularly in, you know, the working world as it was even 10, 15 years ago, it's again progressed a little bit now. The working world back then was one where we weren't as well able or well equipped to talk about our emotions at work. And it wasn't as part of the conversation as it is today. I think the last two years, we can't but ignore the fact that we all have emotions as humans when we've been through a pandemic together, you know, um, and that we go through challenges. And so I think now I feel a bit more confident to call myself a psychologist. And I think therefore, yes, I now begin to see myself more as somebody who works in STEM, STEM also, uh, psychology also being much more broadly recognized now as a STEM subject. You know, when I think about it, it is, you know, we do in psychology, we, we do dissertations, we do research, we do uh, we used science. We use science to to um, to find the answers to what we're looking for. So, and that that's always been part of my discipline. I always use kind of evidence based techniques in, in my work, um, and that that is probably what differentiates us as psychologists as well. So, I'm much more confident now about it. But I do think because the the way in which you've asked the question is interesting because I do think that it was probably the absence of very clear mentors for me or very clear role models for me in, in that people, you know, women or not even just women, anybody who was working in a role as a psychologist in an organization, I, it meant that I kind of wasn't sure where I saw myself. So I hope that now, now that I am overtly talking and calling myself an organizational psychologist and that I've worked for myself and that I've created this path, I'm hoping that that will maybe uh, encourage others to do something similar because there is there's no question as to whether there's a need for it um it's just that we need to make it more of a um more of a commonly <laughs> placed um career path so um but the thing you know i, I want to go back a little bit to say that when i said there was an absence of of role models it's not that there was a total absence i found there were plenty of women in my career still are, who I looked up to, who I learned from. I just realized quite early on that there wasn't sort of one particular role that I could aspire to getting to. It was more that I, you know, I realized, okay, well, what I need to do here is look to as many brilliant women around me as I possibly can and sort of use them. And I still do this today, use them sort of as my board of, you know, these are the people who are giving me input and I learn from them, even if they work in a totally different discipline, you can still learn so much from other women. Um, and so that's what I ended up doing. And across, you know, across the years, I've found and I've worked with some absolutely phenomenal women who I've looked up to. So I've been very lucky to have that, despite the fact that I haven't worked, you know, in, in the same organization all along. Well, that would be a really good segue into talking a little bit about mentorship. Because mm. I, I like to ask guests like their view on it, you know, if they have a tip, 
And something I heard you say that I really like is really as an entrepreneur, because a lot of women in STEM will do contract work. Yeah. So they can be part of a system, but yet they're also an entrepreneur or they're intrapreneurs. Yes. I love what you said about utilizing them as like your advisory board. Mm. And that's a different frame on mentorship that hasn't come up on the show prior. So do you want to add anything to that about mentorship? I would just absolutely encourage anybody to put yourself out there a bit. And if there's somebody you admire or if there's somebody who you think, wow, they've done something that I find really interesting or that I would like to emulate in some way. Don't be afraid to reach out to them and to to ask for their advice and to ask for a quick cup of coffee. I think most, particularly most women, will absolutely respond to that. And um, I always try to make time. And if anybody reaches out to me in that capacity, I always try and make time. And it's it's actually it's it's been a funny transition to get to the point where people are now reaching out to me for advice, whereas I always used to see myself as the one reaching to, out to others. And I still do that. Absolutely. But it's nice to feel like I'm in a position where, you know, maybe do have some some value to add to somebody who's who's trying to grow in their career. But I I absolutely would. And I think, you know, no matter where you find yourself, there'll always be somebody, even if it's not exactly in the same team as you or in the same discipline as you, there'll always be somebody who you find is saying something that resonates for you. And reach out to them. And I've done, you know, I've made a point of doing that throughout my whole career, no matter where I find myself. And that's part and parcel, I guess, also of the nature of the work that I do, because I always have to understand the system that I'm operating in. So I spend, (laughs) I think often when I start work on some kind of a a culture change project or an OD piece of work, people must think that all I do is sit around drinking coffee because (laughs) what I actually tend to do is try and meet as many people within the system as possible to understand the different lenses. But of course, throughout that, you meet really interesting women and really interesting people who have had careers that are, you know, so interesting to hear about um, and will always have wisdom to share. So, yes. So while I, what I would say, I've never officially had one mentor I've had lots of them. And at the moment, I, you know, I have a number of different women who I connect with regularly on a really regular basis. And I consider them all to be my mentors. And I hope that I reciprocate for them, too. Well, I like to close by asking one particular question. So what are you currently reading? And what are you pulling out from that? I am. I always have about two or three books on the go at once, uh, one on Audible, one on my Kindle, and then one that I'm, I have in real life as well, because I like to be able to hold a real book as well as that. So um, if it's not cheating too much, I might answer. What I'm listening to at the moment is an absolutely fascinating book by um, a neuroscientist called uh, Robert Sapolsky. The book is called Behave. Um, it's an absolute, well, I'm listening to it on Audible, so I don't know exactly how big it is, but it's very long. So I'm assuming it's a tome, but he, it's, he has a really interesting organizing principle behind the book because he talks about human behavior at a neurobiological level and what explains our behavior, but he talks about it in terms of what happens seconds before the behavior happens 
what happens days before the behavior happens. So the seconds before is the sort of the synaptic changes and the neurons, what's going on in the brain at that time. The days before is some, is potentially to do with hormones and those kind of changes that are in your body. And then years before is obviously more to do with uh, your your own experience as you've maybe grown up or things that have happened to you, experiences in your life. Um, then he also goes into genetics as well. That's the point that I'm at at the moment, which is absolutely fascinating going mm. into all the different things about um, twin studies, identical twin studies, separated birth and, you know, the, the nature nurture debate. So I'm always fascinated by that type of that type of a read. Um, actually, neuroscience was always my favorite subject in in in, uh, in college. Although I never felt compelled to actually go into it as a field. So, but that's always, I always am reading some form of neuroscience book. Um, in real life, I'm reading a book um, by Gemma Lee Roberts, who is um, a LinkedIn learning author as well. It's called Mindset Matters. So Gemma has, Gemma is, is one of my mentors um, and has been for years now. And she is also a LinkedIn learning instructor and has fantastic courses that I highly recommend on LinkedIn learning. And has a, a newsletter also on LinkedIn Learning, which has been phenomenally successful. And she has now, the newsletter is also called Mindset Matters. And she has um, translated it into a book with so many nuggets of wisdom about just that idea of changing the way you think about something mm -hmm. and how impactful that can be on everything to do with your resilience and well-being and, and how you perform. So. And I, I think I'm reading a book by David Sedaris on my Kindle because I just, he just cracks me up. <laughs> so something fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, yeah, I need, I need humor in my life, Kimberly. Yes. I cannot, not all neuroscience. <laughs> yes. I have to say I'm, I'm smiling so big um, and so tickled because I do the same thing. I listen to a book on Audible. I'm mm -hmm. reading one on my Kindle, and then I always have a physical one. Really? Yeah. And I believe in the power of three. So oh. I always like to do things in threes. Yeah. So I was like, oh, we were just meant to connect. Yeah. That's interesting, actually, isn't it? Yeah. There is that, something about having three. And, and sometimes as well, you kind of need to have, I like options. You kind of need yes. to think, what do I feel like? Do I feel like listening to something? Mm -hmm. Do I feel like it or yeah, picking it up? You know, and now I've added the watch because I'll try to do a LinkedIn learning um, every day, actually. Well, I highly recommend pretty much any of Gemma's courses. She has one on emotional intelligence and growth mindset and resilience, which is her topic of research. So, yeah, lots of brilliant. Well, insights. I appreciate that. I'm definitely going to check her out. And we'll have links to these um, in the show notes as well. So I want to thank you so much for sharing your story, because I know that sharing stories connects us as humans, and we can always relate to portions of someone's story. So I would hope for the listeners, they've enjoyed our chat and feel like they got to sit in on um, an interesting dialogue and that they've gleaned some things for them. Mm. I, I believe the theme is absolutely one where know where you want to end up and it's okay to carve your new, a new path and how to get there. A hundred percent. Yes. Um, so I, again, I really appreciate you carving out time and 
being so generous and um, and sharing with our listeners. Thank you, Kimberly. I really enjoyed the chat. Thank you so, and for giving me as well a different lens to think about my own story because it's you don't often think about your you know you kind of you're just in the doing and 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 yeah. going through it you don't often take loads of time to sit and reflect so I've really appreciated that time and that new lens to think about so thank you oh you're so welcome that's it for this episode of the she's up leadership podcast as always thank you to our listeners for tuning in you can subscribe to she's up on apple google spotify Audible, Alexa, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm your host and executive producer, Dr. Kimberly Jackson, founder and principal of Coach Kimberly International. Special thanks to our marketing manager, Sandy Lomas, and to audio engineer, Joseph Keenan, with Short Stack Studios in New York. We invite you to join us in our commitment to advancing women in leadership in STEM fields. To learn more about the She's Up movement, visit us at coachkimberly.com.